This week on Security Decoded, John, Mike, and I are going to break down the latest exploits through the headlines. It's going to be Java, PDFs, Adobe. We're also going to explore the latest malware threats out there, and phishing is a threat again. Mike is going to break down security certs, and finally, we're going to tell you what was the most scariest headline. Welcome to this week's Security Decoded. I'm here with John and Mike. And how was your week? Mine wasn't too bad. A um, little busy at work. A lot of information out that we'd like to get out to everybody right now. There's a lot of news items. Mike? It's uh, a very busy you? week. <laughs> very busy week. Uh, a couple things in the news besides that we're not security related. We have a carnival cruise ride that is just turning to a total disaster. Yeah, just Has little... anybody had a vacation like that? No, but I'm going to tell you what, what's scary is I'm getting ready to go on a cruise in, in April. <laughs> so. That's enough for me to not go on a cruise. Well, I think you can look at that cruise and say, well, that's the worst case scenario. Yeah, and I've had good yeah. luck with Carnival so far, but and we're not going to Carnival, so but still. <laughs> well, there's Just poor, there's poor people. They really have uh, had quite a vacation. So I would have thought they would take another boat out there and gotten people off that boat by now. Yeah, you know, they have so many in the fleet. I guess they have so many that are out now, they just can't go out and disembark. Well, they, said, well, they said another one brought them food, so why didn't these pick people up at the same time, fill in the empty rooms at a minimum? Food, foods, a food transfer underway is a little bit different than people. I think it's more of a well, liability not, They're not underway. So, That's the problem. Well, they're adrift. Yeah, yeah they're so. adrift. Yeah. And I, I saw that the Coast Guard cutter was hanging hanging nearby just in case something else went wrong. Yeah, and, and it's more the concern for the um, people or the customers that are on board, and, and they're basically getting very uncomfortable with their situation. So... Um, that can lead to um, a lot of hostilities, and, and they're more so there for the safety of the people, um, weather conditions, the customers, and, and to make sure that they can keep updated on it. Any kind of medical emergencies, I guess they can airlift them out? They can. Um, mm -hmm. they, they'll be pre-staged. Um, they have the ability to send someone on board, um, and they can get everything ready for any kind of transfer that they're going to do. Great. Well, let's go on to our security topics now. Uh, first of all, did you know that you can watch live? We have a recorded security decoded every week live, and while you watch, you can join the chat room with other live viewers. I see we have at least one person in the chat room. Hopefully, they'll ask a question, uh, and we have we can record it so we can be interactive with you. So the first article, the first news headline that really jumped out at me is <laughs> hacked emergency broadcast announces zombie apocalypse is here. <laughs> So what happened is we have a, uh, a TV station out in Montana who is uh, broadcasting their normal daytime TV. And all of a sudden, the emergency broadcast comes on and says uh, the dead are arising from their graves and now are attacking the living. Yeah. What do we think about that? Do we think, first of all, it was actual zombies that hacked in there, or is this just a prankster? I just think it was a prankster who was getting ready to be found out because the teen cheaters are taking lie detectors in the show, apparently, that are watching. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. It was a preemptive attack? Yeah, it was a preemptive it attack. It couldn't have been a more appropriate audience. I mean, it, the style of the show, the target audience, and then to have this kind of hack go on. I can guarantee you had a couple people locking doors and looking out I, their window. I'm sure there were a couple of people who started to uh, to go to the uh, bunker. 
I'm sure. I think it's the first yeah. I've ever heard anybody hacking into the emergency alert system and setting it off. Yeah, that, that so. was that's a pretty good trick. I mean, it's just you know, it's it's as much as we laugh at it, it's actually kind of pretty serious. It so. is. It is a serious. Could thing, be but serious that there was an actual emergency and right. that yeah. popped up instead. But it is, it is funny, you know, what, what they did with it. Yeah, I, it was a good chuckle. And uh, you should check out our show notes and go to that link. Uh, yeah. that They have the live. It is pretty funny. You know, zombies, you have to love them. You know, anything zombies is great right now. Uh, but zombies, you can't live with them and you can't kill them, apparently, because they're already dead. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, on to some more serious ones. Uh, the... Um, the federal government says an internal site was uh, breached by hackers. No critical functions were affected, but we have our friends at Anonymous uh, did an attack, and this was the emergency systems. This is what was attacked. Right, and it, it scares me a little bit about it was the U.S. Federal Reserve that they um, exploited. So it's a little scary. You know, I mean, federal reserves were, are money. So yeah, I mean, they were able to extract um, about four thousand pieces of information. And not only were they able to get the information, but they they reposted it. Right. So it was almost their you know their badge of courage. Look what we got. I'm gonna repost. They it. did the the Federal Reserve did stress that no critical agency operations were affected. It's, I mean, it's good, but it's still you know it's it's um, you know one of those uh, I guess warning shots. Right. You know, we, we need to kind of button it up. A yeah. Little I mean, what's going to happen next? You know, they're just they're just out there teasing you, kind of like look look what we can get into. Yeah. You know, at this point. So what would have happened if they did get to some critical systems? Could they have influenced the market? Could the dollar rise? Or could I'm not going to see Dennis Hawkins on the $1 bill or yeah. something. <laughs> I would like that, actually. <laughs> so, it well, was, and it, the thing was, it said it was Cold Fusion, which is an old yeah. piece of software anyway. So I didn't know we still had Cold Fusion even around. Of course, it's the U.S. government. You know, we're behind times on we, a lot of things. We might have some legacy systems out yeah, there. That's yeah, that's what my guess is. You know, and then it's the kind of data that's attacked. You know, we saw the emergency system. We all kind of laughed at it. But, you know, that's something that's valuable. And then last week, you know, we talked about uh, the New York Times, about right. what kind of information is there. So here we have what could be actual currency. Anonymous might want it just for the publicity and just to prove they can they can get right. to the federal government. Right, exactly. And we had the energy department networks were hit by a sophisticated cyber attack. And this smells like one of your APTs, John. Is that was what was at work here? It um, APTs are usually classified after. Um, usually, it's rare that you catch an APT in the midst of or or you know while they're doing it. It's it's after you gather the data. But yeah, it just it really um, just. Everything that was found, all the information, a total of 14 computers uh, or servers, 20 workstations um, were penetrated during the attack, and, and it wasn't a brute force all at once. It was Right. Actually, they said time. because of the sophistication of it, it kind of reminds them of nation-state involvement. Mm. So sponsor, state sponsorship, they, yeah. They went as far as to mention a state, which we've mentioned before, <laughs> nation-state. Uh, so and apparently we and us and them have back and forth type things all the time. So. Yeah. It's, it's, a, a, it's a cat and mouse game. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know what it kind of reminds me of is uh, during the Cold War uh, th that our submarines used to to play these kinds of games with the Soviet submarines as well. Yeah. You know, yep. it's kind of the um, it's kind of the digital age uh, submarine tag that that goes on. Right. I think what's most concerning is is um, advanced persistent threats are there. We know they're there. So you know, came up with this theory and this title of an advanced persistent threat. Um, it's for threats or compromises that have existed for a long period of time. So, 
you reverse it, you look at the theory, you look at the initial avenues attack, and, and it starts to fit the model of advanced persistent threats. So are there more out there? More than likely. We just haven't seen them yet. And it's a matter of just finding yeah. them. Yeah, and we'll probably hear it's about just, them It's more. just getting started, I think. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, I do like the way that our government comes out and says, hey, we got attacked. Do you think that would have happened a couple of years ago? No. Yeah. No, I still don't think we know about them all either. Well, that, that's true. <laughs> I'm not convinced. I mean, yeah. they have to give something out because people know that you're getting attacked. You know, yeah. give us something so they're less likely to. Yeah. I, I wonder why they are being more straightforward about it. Is it to alert everybody else or to say, hey, that this is going on? Or maybe they would like to say, hey, the, we have a foreign government or foreign governments out there trying to attack us. Well, I mean, maybe they're afraid to get out other ways. So they just get it out themselves beforehand. Like if, in the case of anonymous, they would know that anonymous would take credit for it, so they would probably get out there as quickly as they could. Uh, preemptive. Preemptive. Yeah. yeah. Now this nation state one, I don't really know the answer to that. Yeah. So that did affect some of their employees, obviously, which could have been part of the reason they were so forward about it. Yeah. Or maybe just they want to tell their story first before anybody else tells yeah. their story. Put their own spin on it. Yeah. yeah. As I say, it's so they can control it. They can control the view. They can control the information. If you know, if you're first to come out about it, then you're driving the bus, right? Right. Yeah. Well, our government is not the only government that is experiencing attacks. Uh, the cyber attack strikes the Japanese government again, and this time they say classified documents were possibly stolen from the computer. Is it better to possibly say, or is it better to say that you definitely had uh, classified documents stolen? I, know, I typically take possibly as meaning it was. Yeah. yeah. That's just the way I look at it. It's more but... of a downplay. Um, yeah. And then there's several different classifications. The thing um, was, it said it was 20 internal documents, so it's not like it's the whole defense plan or anything. Well, it depends what kind of documents they are. Well, That's they said true. there were confidential items, and you know that could be yeah. anywhere from for official use only a Fuyo document as opposed to secret, as opposed to top secret. So there's different levels. So I think um, the possibility, like like Mike says, probably was, but at to what level, you know, you can start questioning. And you know, the other thing is they mentioned 20 documents but yet they say they've only gone through one computer so far <laughs> so you know it's hard to say what's going to turn up later on as they go through it yeah and you're really skilled cyber attacks are going to cover the tracks right so maybe they have the the computer or maybe they don't right and this follows on with the agricultural forestry and fisheries ministry where they said three thousand pieces of information so it's just one of those still going through the government trying to get stuff out of you yeah so, and, and yeah, so. they're probably only releasing like what mike says what they know right now and, and right. who knows how much more there is to find mm -hmm. so what were the consequences of the forestry ministry to be compromised i think it's just more of a, a compromise of government structure mm -hmm. that somebody was able to get unauthorized access um, and I guess you could use that information for economic. You know, either that or, or, like Mike said, it comes on the heels of a, a, a recently exposed um, hack against or, or an attack against the agriculture, forestry, and fisheries ministry. So did they vet something out? Did they say, hey, I think we caught on to something? So now let me test it against the, the foreign ministry. Well, did it work here? Now let's see who else I can test right, it. Right, and just keep going through different things, you know, as the different ministries. Yeah, kind of a verification. Yep, yep. Uh, Nokia Taiwan websites defaced. Uh, what's happening there? Well, it's like hackers got in and did the old style hacking. Yeah. <laughs> old school. <laughs> old school. We'll make you look ugly. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't anything. They didn't really find anything uh, that they found stolen, much as somebody defaced it, yeah. which is typical of people that are angry at you, you know, when it's from the old days. So, you don't see that much anymore. Defacement is a rare thing yeah. these days. Everybody's using their 
skills to steal stuff, and so it's an unusual one. They did three of their domains, the Nokia.com.tw, and that's the member event and fun. Oh, it's five. Or four. Swipe was the other one. So they're all about TW domains, no new straight.coms. But. So specific to the, the Taiwan region. Yep, just to the Taiwan. Hmm. Uh, also, the Citadel. Uh, some more cyber spies going on. Seems like that's a common theme right now. So this one uh, could be espionage in Sweden and Denmark. We go to the other side of the world. Right, and it and it's funny because this is an old program that used to be distributed all the time. The developers of it took it offline for whatever reason. The same developers are now using it for espionage. So there, somebody's probably paying them to do this work. Yeah, and I saw that it was a for hire job. So uh, what do you do there? You advertise on hacking websites and uh, the, see who the news who groups in the up? yeah and IRC yeah. Hmm. How about anonymous? Is this something that they would be interested, in, or are they more for a show instead of cyber spying? Um, they're more for well, shock for one. Um, I don't know. I mean, this wouldn't be something for them. They don't really try to spy on people as much as they try to deface to get FaceTime value public of it. Yeah, it's public. Or, yeah. It's public. You know. To show up in front of people and stuff. A, a political message. I mean, it has anonymous tends to serve an agenda, like Mike says. So, you know, what what does the purpose of espionage serve here? It's it's you want it to be quiet, very low key, as opposed to anonymous is very loud. Look what we did. So, I, I wouldn't doubt um, that this is probably not them. Yeah. yeah, I would. Yeah, it's not not their style. You know. They're, they're not generally in the espionage game like that. And they probably want everybody to know anyway. We'd probably know if it was them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Python, wikis hacked. Yeah, that's another defacement, for the most part. I mean, somebody got into the wiki and and destroyed it. Well, I didn't necessarily destroy it, but they defaced it. Uh, it looks like that that information they got to actually deface it, what they got last middle of last year, and they just finally got around to defacing it. So they're like the low and slow hackers, where they got access to something and they didn't really take action on it for a period of time. So. No idea what they're doing in there since, as I said, July 25th, 2012 was when they think they got in and got the uh, information. Yeah. Low and slow. July is last year, wow. And it took them until this, just yeah. this week to actually make a change to the wiki page wow. and stuff. So well, if you find you, an old program. I was yeah. say, or do you think that somebody maybe sat on it just just to let it, people forget? And then. Yeah, or I mean, I'm wondering if it wasn't somebody inside, you know, that's mm. disgruntled. Mm. That it wasn't really what they think it was, where they got it from. But they oh. mentioned. They mentioned um, Moin Moin, which is a, a wiki, yeah. yeah, a wiki version. So, mm-hmm. low and slow is that an IT security professional's worst nightmare? Oh yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. probably probably the hardest thing to ever see. Yeah, and that's the good guys do that because they know you know you're never going to see them in the process of doing the low and slow. They're putting in other back doors and things like that. And so in case you do find one, they got another one. Just keep on going. So you never even know they're even there. So. Yeah. The, we're just right now because you know we're just basically trying to tread water and we're trying to keep up. So it's it's the whole theory of the squeaky wheel gets the grease. So go for the really loud, aggressive ones, while the low and slow ones will just sneak right by you. Yeah. So and, and they're the scary ones, like Mike said, they're the really scary ones. What kind of tools could be deployed to prevent slow and go or detect? I guess your main goal is to detect slow, low and slow. Well, I mean, it's a couple of tools you should probably have on every machine. One of them would be like a HIDS. So if you see somebody making a change in the background, you can see that mm-hmm. it's done. Changes but, to the OS. Or yeah, changes. but it's hard to do when it's on your desktop because you make changes to your desktop all the time. Yeah. But on the server, it's easier. Um, but you can still install some things on your desktop. You just got to you know kind of watch it a little bit. 
Um, that's one. There's things like fire eyes, sit in line, look for call outs. Mm-hmm. Um, you should normally, some general rules, you know, don't allow SSH outbound, things like that, that they would use for channels to get out. Uh, although they're getting smart at that too, they're using SSL, which is something we all use every yeah. day, so it makes it hard to find those. And we talked about SSL uh, last week. Yep. Mm-hmm. How about uh, antivirus? Antivirus still relevant for uh, low and slow? Yeah, yes and no. Um, hash-based signatures, no. Uh, un- unless they know about that file, um, they're not going to see it. But um, some antivirus, they're starting to integrate web integrity tools, behavior-based smart patterns. Um, they tend to be a little more successful, but still it's it's all based on what you know about. So yeah, they don't know about Yeah, with low and slow, they're generally generating custom tools for this. Yeah. Different signatures they don't see. So unless you put it to the antivirus to right. find. So you would put a batch file, your own scripted batch file, throw it someplace that you wouldn't be looking for malware or any other kind of key loggers or anything like that. Right. Those would be the toughest two to, to find, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Hmm. This is my next or the second favorite headline besides the zombie one. We're going to blow up your boiler. Critical bug threatens hospital systems. So I think the scariest thing is it's more than than just hospital systems when people think hospital systems. So when you do the breakout on this, um, it is uh, equipment that's used by banks, hospitals, to include elevators. And Mike mentioned right. that earlier. And that, that just, that that's your stopper right there. You're yeah. Like, Holy smokes. Yeah. So. And then uh, they did the scan the internet and there's 21,000 of them on the internet. So they're open to the internet. Yeah. <laughs> that's a problem. <laughs> Yeah, some uh, devices you just don't even think would be hooked up to the network uh, are right. uh, these yep. days. So just to be clear, this is actually something sold by Honeywell. It's called the Niagara AX branded system, and it does control heating, elevators, and other industrial equipment. Wow. So if you have one of those, I think you might want to take a closer look at yeah. it. Yeah, at least check your passwords. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that reminds me of a movie. Um, one of the diehards. Uh, Die Hard 3? Uh, where uh, Bruce Willis is being stalked by uh, uh, someone who has total access, and he actually uh-huh. is able to trap people in the elevator, and they have the cameras, and they just <laughs> keep flipping from camera to camera. Mm-hmm. So uh, another example of where uh, fiction uh, meets reality. You know, in this story, I found something is interesting, not necessarily related to the story, but Kaspersky has a security analyst summit, and it's in San Juan. You never think of San Juan as being a technical area, you yeah. know? You think of it being in, vacation. In or Rico, yeah. It's in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Huh. So it took them 25 seconds to take control of the device, the hacker, so, <laughs> yeah. and then the demonstration. Yeah. Let's hope they didn't take a uh, cruise line to get the same one. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> uh, one of our next uh, headlines, Facebook. You know, we have not talked really about Facebook, but they have a zero day. So it's a backdoor in, that can be downloaded from Facebook. So uh, we have a lot of Facebook users, and people want to know about the security settings. What, what should we tell them? So the, the zero day that was, was um, mentioned on Facebook was brought to them by an email through an FBI link. Um, they said that there was a file out there um, and that, that they had a backdoor exposed on their system. Um, it was basically in the um, source coding of, of Facebook. And then so Facebook set up their security team. So I, I got to let everybody take their deep breath now. Well, no, that. wait. wait uh, we, so, should, we should say that they set up the red team. Yeah. Yep. They did find a file, and it was put in the process without the two-person verification, so there wasn't an issue, yeah. yep. and they did find an exploit on the engineer's machine. Well, that's that's yeah. how they gained access to be able to right. drop and exactly. deliver their file, yeah. So, so far, things looking legit, yeah. right? 
Mm -hmm. Now you can give your... (laughs) So um, this was a test. And good for Facebook for doing this. Good for you. So the um, Facebook chief security officer, Joe Sullivan, was quoted as saying, is internet security is flawed. Um, That I hate to say it, but it seems everyone is in this constant losing battle if you read the headlines. We don't want to be a part of those bad headlines. So in episode one, uh, we had mentioned that security was falling behind. Um, and that's why it was important to do these security predictions to close the gap. And here Facebook goes out and they test their own security team. Right. And they did not know what was going on. No, they didn't warn anybody. Yeah. Right. They, they actually had uh, Skypes back and forth to talking about this and how is it, where is it coming from? What is it? So they really thought it was real. And I guess apparently they eventually told the engineer whose laptop it was. I guess, I don't know if he's freaking out or what. I would be freaking out if he said my laptop was what did that. So, yeah. so at some point they told the engineer what was going on before they told everybody else. But, you know, it's one of those things where they really – and from the FBI, the FBI worked with them to do this. So it was legitimate. The, the, and what's also scary was is the fact that Facebook actually found an undisclosed zero day in an application on the security engineer's laptop, and they leveraged it. Yeah, um, right. They – Conducted their tests from it. They they set everything up really nicely, um, and it, it drew the appropriate response from their team. But Facebook was also savvy enough to go to this software company and said, hey, you kind of have a zero day. This is how we found it, and this is what we used it for, so you know, let's see if you can fix it. So um, they were able to um, find a zero-day exploit within an application on one of their engineers, and and they successfully used it in this test, which added to the realism. Right, exactly. I think that's genius, too. Um, Here's the reason, because uh, when we've set up tests like this in the past, well, we, we engineer something. Well, we're not thinking like hackers then or people who write malware. We're thinking... We need to test for this. So it's not a true test. But here, they were actually using a, a true test. I think that's right. really a good job by them. They yeah. allow the natural process to work. Like Mike said, it's, it's you know, they stood the red not team Not telling up. anybody. Yeah, they yep. just, they, they wanted to see what everybody would do. It, yeah. was, it was great. It, it was awesome. You think more companies would be able to do this? I think more companies should do it. They should do it. It's, it's a scary process. I, you know, you don't, you know, all sorts of bells and alarms and could go off and. Yeah, but that kind of gets you. Yeah, we, that helps you get past the panic part, though. If you do yeah. it once or twice, you, you're more comfortable with what you got to do. I think it's something that every company should probably do to some some degree. Yeah. We, and, I mean, we when I was active duty, we, you did it all the time. You you don't train for fires when you're underway. You don't train for flooding for underway if it's not going to happen. Facebook recognizes this. This is this is an inevitable future. This will eventually happen. So you want to make sure that the people you hire are going to be ready to respond to this and and. Uh, I got to say, you know, a lot of people want to balk at the money. Oh, that's too expensive. But when you think about it, the money they invested in to do this type of training is considerably cheaper than the money you could lose. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. One one, one break-in costs you millions of dollars, a company like that. So, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So, hopefully that will prepare them for the real thing. Yep. Uh, White Hole Exploit Kit. This comes from Trend Micro. Um, Again, it looks like they have done a very good job breaking this down. And... um, you know, it looks like the kit doesn't use a JavaScript to hide. Is that is that right? So, so um, good job for Trend Micro again. Uh, they did a great um, uh, piece of analysis on this. So Whitehole is is basically a random name that they're using to help separate it from the Black Hole exploit kit that we're running into. So um, it's similar. Whitehole is very similar into what they've seen on the Black Hole exploit kit. 
um, except for it doesn't use JavaScript to hide, to hide um, running another JS called plug and detect. So um, what it simply does is it just executes its JS without even trying to hide it. It just does it right in, you know, out in the open. So it uses the vulnerability, the Java vulnerability, but doesn't hide it. Right, exactly. Hmm. Yeah. Is this another example of low and slow? Is it, uh, you know, you're, you're configuring HIDs and your other tools to look for things oh. that are hiding. And here you have something that's in plain view. Yeah, I'm not quite sure this is low and slow necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's more of a, I, they don't care. Yeah. You know, we're gonna get in, we're, they're using it for basically malware. Um, right. So the exploit leverages existing um, Java vulnerabilities on your system. So one is a 2011 vulnerability, uh, three or 2012 vulnerabilities. One is a very current 2013 vulnerability that was used in um, some recent exploits. So um, I don't think, I think they're to the point of, well, why hide? I can get in you fast enough that I don't need to add this extra component to hide or obfuscate myself. Um, I'm just gonna come at you right in the open. But right. they're, you know, they're using it in malware that we have all seen yep. um, in the past. Um, one of them that's very aggressively growing right now is ransomware. And mm -hmm. I'm sure you can speak to that. Yeah, ransomware is uh, something we see periodically. We've been seeing a lot of it. Um, you mentioned the FBI one that we had. This uh, ransomware can be, it says uh, you have to pay to get your money back. Right. Or I'm sorry, to get your to use your laptop, your PC back, and what happens when you do pay, when you put your credit card in there? Well, they steal your credit card, and you don't get your uh, laptop back, you're still locked. And the thing I found interesting was that it considers this still to be a beta. Yeah. So what's that gonna, what's the end one gonna be like? Yeah, it'll be interesting. We'll have to check back with uh, Trend Micro on seeing how many they're seeing out in the wild right. and now, see if it changes. Yeah, and they put out five CVEs, and on my screen here I have um, the five CVEs. Um, the CVE is what, 2012 and a 2011 one. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so they go back quite a ways. There's five of them up there that relate to this. And I can buy this on the net, on uh, when I'm going to look for my hacker website. Yep. I can uh, buy it. Trend, sure. Trend microanalysts have found that, that this is actually available on the market anywhere from 200 to 1800 US dollars. And like Mike says, this is, this is the beta. This, they're still tweaking this code. And they're successful enough that they can sell it for as much as eighteen hundred. That's all. <laughs> so Sean asked because it's a Stuxnet variant. So um, I don't think so. No. It's it's basically um, what it's doing is is it's it's like black hole, very similar to black hole, um, just a little more in your face. Um, being used in things like backdoor Z access. So backdoor Z access coding is um, another downloader component. Once it's able to populate itself onto your device, it will download um, other applications, fake applications, similar to ransomware or fake AV, um, basically illegitimate applications that have no purpose other than to either steal your data or your money. And if Z-Axis can get to your system files, right. you're looking at a re-image. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, Adobe Flash. So here we go again. Day. Yeah. <laughs> we always talk about Adobe, don't we? It's either Flash or Java every week. <laughs> That's right. Or, or Flash sometimes both. Sometimes both, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Oh, actually, hold on. So um, uh, Sean was actually referring to our exploit on oh. the uh, the boiler. I'm going to blow up your boiler where we said Oh, oh was, Stuxnet. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, um, I don't believe so. I, localized, I think. So this would be, Sean, this would be uh, more for your corporations 
while Stuxnet was going for power plants right. uh, specifically. And, yeah, actually, for the uh, centrifuges right. that actually make yeah. the uh, uranium. So to cut off the power, disrupt the power, uh, and right. that was definitely uh, uh, nation-state-sponsored. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And we won't mention which two we usually think they are, but <laughs> surprising yeah. in Stuxnet's. Yeah. Let's just say it's very close to home. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So back to Adobe. So a zero day for Adobe. Yep. Here we go again, right? Yep. So it drops multiple files. Um, it had the signature in as Lady Boyle, which is a fairly well-known hacker, but you haven't seen for a while. I haven't seen Lady Boyle for a while. Yeah. So um, the thing that got me was it says that the payload is 64-bit. Well, does that mean you're safe if your Windows XP is 32-bit? Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was kind of interesting uh, myself. And I haven't gone back and confirmed that they didn't find it or if it, you know, if it only is 64-bit. Uh, and they do have the control and command servers listed for, so hopefully you'll be able to stop at that route as well. Yeah, it looks like a Korean ga gaming company either was involved or is uh, got picked on for their, their cert, basically, because it said they took the certificate from M-Game, which is a Korean gaming company. So I don't know if they're actually involved or if somebody just stole their cert. <laughs> I, yeah, I almost wonder if someone's just really trying hard to hide themselves because, like you said, it, it's been a long time since Lady Boyle's been up. Right. And then to also um, force an invalid certificate from M-Game. Yep. So I just think someone's just really trying hard to hide themselves. So you know, it also passes itself off as a Google update, and we see right. that a lot lately. Right. Um, there's a list of files here and uh, domains that are associated. I'll put them on the show notes. Show notes. There's no reason to go through them all right here. Be yep. here forever. It's a long, pretty long it's list. It's a long list, isn't it? Yep. Yes, it is. Um, I, I got to say, you know, we've seen something like this come out of Korea in the past where um, the lists were just as extensive, so um, almost kind of hints regional. Yep. Yeah. So. Yep. So another new PDF vulnerability. Well, another, yeah. another, another Adobe. usual suspect. <laughs> yeah, another Debbie. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, so this is a PDF zero day. It was just announced yesterday on, on Patch Tuesday along with Microsoft stuff. Um, they said they uh, observed successful exploitation on the latest Adobe PDF reader. That's 953.10.15 and 11.01. Um, after it's been exploited, it drops two DLLs. The first DLL shows a fake error message and opens a decoy PDF document. Uh, and then the second DLL in turn drops the callback component. Mm -hmm. so and we've seen that too. Yeah. Yep. So uh, it, it will turn into an APT when they finally figure out how to change those callback yep. IP addresses. And and the fact that there are DLLs doing it um, makes it um, another layer of hiding because typically you tend to see communications or actions launched from executables. And uh, the fact that they're doing it from a, a DLL is, is another layer to try to disguise what it's actually there for. Now, we do know antivirus will uh, inspect DLLs. Hard to find if they're custom-made. That's right. Yes. So I wonder if there's some kind of checker, DLL checker, that can be run or processes or something like that. Has anybody heard of something like that? I can't say that I have. Yeah. But we are seeing DLLs uh, involved in more attacks, more malware drops. We are, and I think it's because of the fact that DLLs are common files for web-based applications. Mm -hmm. you know, you, you'll need this library to run the application um, at that current time, so it'll drop these really small random character DLLs, which makes it easy for um, cyber criminals to hide right next to it. So it's it's kind of the hide in plain view. Yeah. So, and you knew we'd get around to it sooner or later. 
<laughs> Yahoo using old Java. Uh, Java. Is that bad? Java, Java. 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 Is that bad? Java. So this one just freaks me out. First of all, I, I know what Slate Builder is, and I'm not a fan of Slate Builder. I never have been a fan of Slate Builder. Yeah. Um, but the fact that they're running Java 6 update 7 when we're – what is it, 39? or Yeah, we're yeah, at 39, 39 right now. Right. So um, that's I old. thought 6 was supposed to, to go away. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's supposed to maybe. It doesn't mean it's going to. Yeah, and if people have applications written on it, they won't just go away. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that just scares me. I don't know why somebody has something. And it, that version was released in 2008. It's four years old. Almost man. five. Yeah, we're going five years. So now you do a lot of web building. Yeah. Uh, and you've used Site Builder. Yep. Do you see any? It, how about a performance issue with the Java? We know it's a security well, I mean, issue. It's just Site Builder in general. I, I mean, can't. Well, Slate Builder in general, I've never really finished anything on it. Like, I, never, I never liked it. So yeah. um, I know it's bad for search engines, the way it does things, uh-huh. uh, the canonicalization that they, they do. Um, they mix up www, not www in the links. And so it's all kinds of things. Search engine-wise, it's just not good for. Yeah. Um, it's old. I mean, it's really aged. It doesn't create nice-looking pages. It's like the, yeah. the Web 1.0 look Which and things. probably so. why they're using the old Java. just can't get yeah. away from it. And, and, and it's aged. And you can so. get Slate Builder other places other than Java. Um, like yeah. If you go to like... Um, any of the hosting companies, like, um, well, GoDaddy has it, I think, as well. But, um, like, Bluehost has it. It's all part of your cPanel stuff. You right. can use Site Builder. So, I mean, Yahoo uses it, too. I don't know what they're the same version, though, of what Yahoo is, necessarily. Yeah, that might be an issue, too. Yeah, so they, um, I guess, they, in an attempt to make it easier for the home user, right? Yeah, that was they, yeah, they that's the idea. maybe simplified it a little too Yeah, but just things you can do now that are, that you want to build a website, best thing to do is something like Squarespace or something like that. Yeah. I mean, and it's... It's GUI based. It's you know secure stuff like that as well. Yeah. So um, they, the, um, was this released by Krebs on Security? Uh, which one we're talking about right now? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, so yeah. So yes. Krebs. So um, Krebs actually reached out to Yahoo. Um, the the Java was bundled with Site Builder. Um, they haven't received a response back from them. They're not clear if the the older Java was either oversight and nobody's just updated it, or if there's an actual functional purpose for this that it needs mm-hmm. to run at that low level or to break it at a higher so. of course we know applications that require the old version right you know yes. we experienced that one <laughs> yeah. in the past so um so they so they've reached out and they're waiting for an answer and that answer hasn't come back yet on whether it was an oversight or whether it is just a necessary evil for the function and our next item is cross-platform frutos rat builder and backdoor yeah so First of all, have you looked at the logo for this thing? I did. I like the logo. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds bad. It's like, like something like that, but yeah, it's a yeah. pretty cool looking little graphic. So. Yeah. And this headline comes uh, to us from Symantec. Right. So this is another backdoor, and uh, typically you don't see backdoors written entirely in Java, and this particular one is. It's it's uh, an unusual. I'm not saying it hasn't been done before, but it's not very often you see that. Um, Basically, it allows them to create a connect back. So basically, inst- it gets installed via jar file, yeah. makes a call out, and then they can get back into your machine. So it's the back door, another way of getting into your machine. Yeah. After the new machine, they can do all kinds of nefarious things. So, yeah. so is it a listener then? It establishes an it open establishes port. It establishes an open port outbound. So yeah. yeah. Anything um, with a remote access tool can be dangerous if it isn't. Yeah, in. and they give a list of things. It can kill or query system processes, browse the file systems, Download and execute files, send pop-up messages, open websites in a browser, and perform denial service attacks against an IP address. Hmm. So it gives them a little, nice little toolkit when they get into your machine to do other things. So they could use that and get into a company 
and then start denial of servicing inside of the company and things like that as well. Yeah, and it'll it's look like an internal attack against itself. Yep, that's, that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah, and again, are HITS tools would they be able to detect this? No, I don't. This is one I would question because you know Java doesn't go into the system files, which is where most of the HID stuff looks. It's just going to ride in the user directories. Which Especially if it drops in as a jar, that drops in a yeah, temp directory. Right, it's a user temp directory, so it's not going to be easily noticeable, I wouldn't think. Yeah. It's it's low low level. Doesn't need a, a high amount of privileges. Doesn't need administrator rights. Um, it's it's a if you practice least administrator privileges on your network, um, it'll still be able to write. Yeah, um, and. and Java, you know, there's flaws in Java. I execute oh, yeah. privileges, so execute privileges they elevate. and elevate to the to install itself. And yeah, it's and unauthorized elevate's always bad. Yeah, obviously, absolutely, but it's everywhere. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. for the first time you do that, somebody they're like, "What happened?" You know, because <laughs> things stop working for them. Our next headline comes from Symantec again, uh, and I like this headline too. Uh, Malvertising and dynamic DNS never-ending story, and I don't think that has a happy ending, does it? No. Yeah. So this is a five-month-old malware campaign. Um, it actually uses dynamic DNS to hide its source, um, and it's delivered through advertisements on web pages. It can be on Facebook. Basically, what these companies do is they write into their ad a JavaScript exploit, and then they buy an ad on a company, and when they ask for the ad code, they send that ad code over, and um, they basically you go to the website like um, Facebook, and you get infected. So I mean, not to Facebook as an example, but any could be any website that takes advertising. It's I mean, it's just it's scary in the sense that um, you know you, you go to things like MSN or you use um, other free free applications out there like Hotmail where. They make their money through advertising. Right, exactly. So, and they're the most vulnerable because people are on, um, going to the site to do other things. You know? Yeah, I mean, so. to speak to a, a local, you know, because we're here on the hill, the Washington Post is huge. Mm-hmm. Go to the Washington Post website. It right. is littered with advertisements. Yeah. Yep. I could be at work just going to read an article, say, on the State of the Union address. Right, and while, and while you're there, you pick up yep. something. You know, nothing and intentional. Through an advertisement, nothing intentional. Right. Absolutely. And your most popular sites are going to have the most risk because... Right, yeah. yeah. And they all do advertising, and most of the time their advertising is to the point where it's not really checked. You buy an ad through an online form, and you upload your code, and until somebody starts complaining about it, you don't even know you're, you have anything on your network that's bad. They don't you know watch that stuff that closely. Yeah. You know, I, you said the Washington Post. That brings up another interesting side topic. Um Newspaper, online newspapers, online news agencies have a tough time deciding what model to use. They may be dependent upon advertising on web paging advertising. And if that's not something they can control every day, they may get a runaway link that, uh, yeah, that, absolutely. that would hurt them. And as a user, you know, you don't have this in the old model where you get your paper delivered. You don't get whacked in your head with a newspaper, <laughs> usually. Right. That, uh, but here, you know, you go to a user goes there, gets, uh, gets infected, they're not going to come back. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, they don't always know where they get infected from. Right. So you don't, they might not know for a while you're infected. And you, yeah. If you're the typical person who's going to Facebook and all the other sites, you know, you don't necessarily well, the, the know. The utilization of the DDNS, the dynamic domain naming system, right. you know, helps hide it. Yeah. And then also you you have um, dynamic advertising on pages. You know, the, yeah. your, your advertisements are usually not static. Um, right. They, you know, they move, yeah. yeah. And, it, and that's the whole thing is they use the JavaScript 
to make everything dynamic, and they can easily slot something in there that's an infection yeah. at the same time. And it's quite possible they're using a third party for the advertisements. Or, oh, yeah, they almost so, always are. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, again, they've lost that control, and if they, uh, if they have an infected site, it's going to look bad upon that site. Yeah. 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 Uh, Netseer suffers hack, triggers Google malware warnings. So we've had uh, quite a bit of, we've had Trend Micro warning us, which we expect, Symantec, but now Google is giving us warnings. Again, right. kind of self-protection kind of thing. Well, that's very typical. They see something on the site that looks bad to them, and they'll give you the warning when you go to the site. And that's basically what was happening here is something was on the site that Google said, this is probably an infection. Be careful going here. Yeah. So you see that from time to time. And, and which is it's closely related to the malvertising. So we just talked about um, bad or suspicious advertising. So Netseer is an internet advertising network. So luckily, it wasn't a compromise of their ads or their advertising or their hosting. They had a small compromise from their front-end web server, um, which triggered this ripple effect of, of Chrome users getting a pop-up of anybody trying to go to ZDNet. So if they went to www.ZDNet.com, they received a warning. Um, most Chrome users did. And you know this was an aftershock of, of the front-end website server being compromised. So, but I just I find that it's interesting that um, Netseer is an internet advertising you know, network. Yeah, yeah. So it just makes you kind of wonder, you know, on the heels of malvertising, if somebody's really trying to pick up some more steam on yeah. this. Yeah, that is a long time for a malware attack. Usually they burn out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. They get, they get figured out pretty quickly, generally. Right. right. So cyber threats increase around Valentine's Day. Well, that, that doesn't sound very loving, does it? Doesn't sound very nice. No. So, it I, doesn't. so I can get infected if I uh, if I open up an e card. Is that is that? What yeah, you're mean? really loved. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't get very many e cards. So. <laughs> I don't either. In fact, you know, my mom will hate me for saying this, probably, but she got one from somebody, and I said, and she goes, "How do I open this?" And she sent me an email. I said, uh, "Don't," because I said, "You don't know what it is." I said, "Nobody sends e cards anymore. Just don't be right. safe. Don't open it." So. Uh, that was this week. She got something from somebody, and I imagine it was probably one of these. Could but, be. Um, I just didn't even go investigate. I said, just don't open it. So. Yeah, and that's probably the best thing to do. Yeah. Right. If you don't recognize it, or what if you do recognize the sender? Yeah, or you send back to him and say, did you really send this to yeah. me? Yeah. Then you feel bad because, like, well, maybe you didn't send it to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So. so they find what the exploit is that um, it does drop some malware on you and that it has potential. Sounds like a backdoor Trojan. Yes. Mm -hmm. Backdoor Trojan. Um, to go in with this and, and along with this, Valentine's Day exploit. I, I gotta say, it's um, it's you know, cyber cyber criminals tend to follow the holiday calendar. Uh, we just came off of Christmas and the New Year, where we talked about what we ran into over the Christmas and the New Year, and, and what our predictions are going to be in the next year. And and here we're on the heels of Valentine's Day, so we have this ramp up for Valentine's Day, and, right. and then the Pope, you know. Um, hot topics like the Pope can well, also generate yeah. uh, a high volume. Any big topic like that will as well. Yeah. And it's it's sad. Um, as you come to a holiday, you, you kind of want, you know, you're warm and fuzzies, but you actually have to keep your guard up all the time. Yeah, yeah. and, you know, most people don't understand that. Like, uh, most of my family wouldn't understand. they got to keep your guard up like that all the time. They're so trusting and people... Yeah. And just they don't not used to the people that are trying to get things from them electronically. They just click on things. It's, that's yeah. Are we as IT professionals jaded somewhat? Oh yeah. Are we I, I am. Overly cautious? Yeah. <laughs> I um, can't speak for you, but I can yeah. I, I definitely am. I'm very very limited on what I use to look information up. Um, I'm 
very suspicious of, of any information that comes across my device that I haven't gone out to grab. Um, yeah, I just, I, yeah, click, no, click, no. Yeah. <laughs> I, click, I, no, I don't click. I think in general we do wish that more people would take care of what they're looking at and right. kind of think ahead saying, is this somebody, do I really know this person? Right. Should I click on this? Should I copy and paste it and put it in a browser? Yeah, things well, you can mal find the on malware creators are counting on the people that just assume it's all okay. Yeah. So and until the first time that you something happens to you, you're gonna think, oh, it's all put out of proportion. But when the first time it happens to you, you're gonna change yeah. your mind. So. Yeah. My my wife still doesn't doesn't get that. Sometimes I'll walk by her and and I'll hear the mouse go crazy. I'm like, what are you clicking? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and it's just it, it's and we are jaded in that way. So. And just for future reference, for people who aren't IT professionals, Tech Zen TV is going to have Security 101, which will give people a good idea of what happens, why it happens, and what shouldn't you do. Right, and we actually yeah. expose some of the scams that are out there and, and things that you should be looking for, stuff yeah. like that as well. So, yeah, it's a great great way to, to get some security background and you know, protect yourself a little better. Yeah, and, you know, I did notice uh, for people who want more on those some of those topics we were just talking about, we just referenced Symantec. Uh, Trend Micro and those links are very good. They're in the show notes and they really break down a lot of those things. And those would be more for security professionals, yeah, IT professionals. Right. Or just the curious, you know, but yeah. it's, it's geared towards security professionals. Yeah, and these links are quite good. There's, so I, we encourage everybody to go to show notes and yeah. take a look at those links. There's a lot of source coding on some of the vulnerabilities in there that would help break it down yeah. and help them protect And a diagram is good too, yeah. you know. So our next uh, headline is money transfer spam campaign with HTML attachment. So uh, this is also from Symantec. So uh, another good link here to see how break down how this happens. And uh, I, we see our old friend pop-ups, which are always bad. Are they always pop-ups always bad? Well, I won't say always bad, although most browsers these days do not allow you or by default turn off the um, pop-ups. So... The thing is, some things require pop-ups. Like I was on a webinar today, and it required yeah. pop-ups to be on for the webinar to work properly. So I had to go in and allow the pop-ups just for the webinar. So that's a little frustrating in some ways. But yeah, sometimes though you can do a one-time pop-up for like a known yeah. webinar or something like right. that. Right. Well, that's basically so, what I did. Is yeah. um, I told it that site was okay, but it's one of those things where you used to be the day in the old days you don't have to worry about that stuff anymore. But now, yeah. now I get nervous when anything says money transfer spam. So uh, apparently you click on the optional button and this goes to a website that looks like a bank. familiar bank yeah. login. Yeah. yeah, so basically it sends you a picture of um, a, trans, a money transfer. Yeah. The thing is, that gets me is the money transfer is handwritten. Who handwrites money transfers anymore? Right. So that would who's been, sending you a digital copy of a handwritten money transfer? That would have been the first thing I thought. I was like, well, it's handwritten. What's wrong with this? Yeah. <laughs> so, But then it takes you to a, a login page to log in and it fails to log in at that point. It just captures your data and fails to log in. Yeah. And you know, and it never fails. And no matter how poorly written a scam will be, someone will fall for it. Now, oh, yeah. oh. now your your worst ones are the well crafted ones where you get quite a few and the hacker will get quite a good percentage of people that fall for it. Right. But even your worst ones will find somebody to log in, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So phishing. Uh, the easy way to compromise Twitter accounts. Yeah, so this was kind of one of the last one we just talked about. Mm -hmm. This was also a fake Twitter page, basically saying they need some information from you. You go to log in to your Twitter account. Well, it looks like a Twitter login page. I mean, look just like it on the on yeah. the on the on the link. 
and it tells you your login is wrong and then it redirects you to the real Twitter page where you can log in. So you just think you typed it wrong for the first time, which you probably typed it right. They got your information. They sent you back to the login and they got what they wanted. You and you don't, and you, access, don't yeah. and you don't know any better. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, was, every, everybody's victim to the, the, the dreaded fat fingers. Yeah, absolutely. And so here yeah. you're thinking, Hey, I just slipped a one when it should have been, you know, a Q and, Right. Redirect it right back to the legitimate site. Well, let me just retype that in. Oh, hey, I got in, so I just must have typoed. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what they wanted you to count on is you, we didn't take your information. You're yeah. just working fine. So, so I, I got to say, Mike, have you seen this? Have I seen what? Have you seen the, the did you see this pick? Oh, uh, which one? Oh, oh yeah, the, did you see yeah. this pick? Yeah, actually, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of funny because uh, <laughs> just before the show, I'm sitting in there and I, John and I are talking. I said, look at this. <laughs> I got yeah. this. I got this thing on Twitter. Did you see this pick of you? I'm like. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> we were doing, we were doing the the, the, the notes, stuff. everything yeah. ready, and there it just fires right on the screen. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. That's why I think shows like this are important because we can talk about the headlines, what's out there. That way, you don't have to say, "Oh, I saw this. I heard about right. this." You know, it kind of gives you that extra step of, you know, is this right? Is it wrong? What, right. What's going on with this? That's what the, the whole Twitter thing. Have you seen this pic? I've seen other places where I've gotten that. Have you seen this pic of you? Yeah. But not through Twitter, but this one's through Twitter, and that's what we were talking about just a little bit ago was the Twitter. Yeah. I mean, Twitter you'll stuff, see so. similar ones like go through Facebook. Right, exactly. That's where I've been seeing it, yeah. yeah. So Microsoft, Symantec, Hijack, Bamatol, Botnet. Uh, we have dealt with this, and uh, it can be pretty nasty to deal with. Uh, both Krebs Security and Symantec are reporting out on this, and it also has a Twitter and Facebook component. Is that right? So Bamatol is like really nasty. We we ran into it a few years back, um, and it's it's the mechanism it uses, how it hides itself, the files that it compromises. Um, it's just it's a very one hard bug to detect, and two it is very difficult to clean. So um, what we had here was is we actually had um, a huge success on our side, on the IT professional side where Microsoft teamed up with Symantec, and there's Symantec again. Yeah. Um, they have, have gone to the U.S. District Court of the Eastern District of Virginia and asked for control of a recently seized Bamatol network. Hmm. Um, and, and, and they were granted it. Yeah, and they were given. Yeah. And yeah. That, that is a huge yeah, success. That's, I think that's the first time we've heard of that actually happening. Like somebody actually said, yes, you can have this bad network. But they are doing good things with it. I mean, there's a page there now that tells you if, if you're infected, so and it tells you how to fix it. So you get this nice little page that comes up and says you're infected with Bamatol. Um, it's better than just turning off the network and everybody all of a sudden being broken. You know, that would have been horrible to see yeah. uh, that many people being Some of the initial um, numbers posted by our references in the notes, and, and it's a good idea to go to the notes because especially on this one for Bamatol, um, we have at least three separate links. There is an abundance of information on it from Krebs, Krebs on Security, from Symantec, um, I'm sure Microsoft also has a write-up on it. Um, just to give you an idea of the Bamatol network, um, estimated at eight million. Right, that's all. Yeah, I mean eight that's million. That's huge. Yeah. And you know how a lot of these were distributed is uh, the uh, your account, Twitter account sign in here. Yes. Right, yeah. Then it yeah. drops uh, LinkedIn. Those were all the phishing email that uh, distributed some really bad infections and outbreaks. So um, Sean in our our uh, chat room said that. He's run into this, and he was actually compromised, and, and he got hacked through one of these exploits very similar to this, where it was, hey, log in. Uh, did I trip up? 
refreshes to the legitimate page like Mike says, oh, no, I'm in. And because you get in on that second try, you think right, you nothing don't, of it. Exactly. Right. You just go on. Yeah. 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 So think about it. You know, if you whenever you do these, we interview a lot of people that do get infected and they say, you know, I knew I shouldn't have clicked on it. That's how they always started out. And then they say, well, nothing really happened. So I clicked on it and nothing happened. I went on and then a few hours later, then they started to see some residual. Yeah, when nothing happens, that's a scary thing. That is. Something yeah. should always happen when you click on it. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, Operation Bebus. This is uh, one of my favorites again. Uh, this one's from uh, FireEye. And again, a very good write-up and a very good uh, diagram on how it actually happens. I'm curious they, about this one. They do a great job in their diagrams. Yeah. FireEye does. They, their breakdown, and, and it's almost real-time. Um, yeah. And they, they have a great environment for it um, and you can really pull a lot of useful information to help button up your network almost immediately right so but yeah their, their write-up was great yeah and it did reference that the first time you saw Beavis is RSA during the RSA conference yeah it did reference that yeah yep. how can smaller businesses protect themselves if RSA is going to get hacked now RSA has a lot of assets that somebody would want and they would have more attempts, but how can smaller businesses protect themselves? You know, they may not be able to have a HIDS or... Yeah. It's more of a like lessons that. learned. Um, it's a lot of user education, too. I mean, yeah. I think if the user understood what the dangers were, they'd be less likely to fall victim to some of the, the possibilities. Yeah, so. because this one is delivered another email attachment. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, yeah. and if, if you look at the, the big picture, the, the size of RSA and its customer base... So all I have to do is get one person. So if yeah. I can slip that one person. That's what in, happened to Arson. Right. In the big scheme of things, right. you can sit there for a little while and, and kind of poke around and really make some progress. You just need that one. Right. That's exactly so, right. I like this article because they give you the name of the file, which is always the same, and the hash. So I guess we can see in further attempts the name will change, the hash will change. Most definitely. Yeah. Um, and, and coders will actually check for that. Um, right. they, will, they will scan their own files to see who's popping signatures. And once they start to see that number grow, all you got to do is change one character or change a call out. I change my hash, I am hidden again. Next, PCI Security Standards Council releases the PCI DSS Cloud Computing Guidelines. PCI, of course, stands for Payment Card Industry, and they are the industry's self-appointed standard bearer and enforcer as well. Right. So, so here, cloud computing has come into play, and now they have come up with some recommendations. I was on the site today. I haven't been on the PCI site in a while, and I thought there was some a very good breakdown. So I've actually read this document, believe it or not. Yep. And you know how much, how painful it is to read a PCI document. <laughs> yeah. Not that it's not good information. It's just kind of dry and long. Yeah. So um, the first thing that I had seen was actually a document that was an overview document of it, and then it linked to the final document. And yeah. uh, it's interesting how they did this because they actually defined the cloud. So you know the cloud is very ambiguous. Everybody has their own idea right. of what the cloud is. And they actually put it into terms like this is what we're calling the cloud, this this type of cloud. They need yeah. to define this because if they didn't do that, you would understand how their recommended you know standards because everybody's different. Everybody has their own idea of a cloud, so they pretty much define the cloud. Um, it's a little dry, like most PCI documents, but I mean overall, it's very good. And it's I'm surprised it took this long to get that kind of standard. Yeah. So 
like with any new technology, you see how, to, how it has to, to shake out. Yeah. But one of the challenges for anybody who is trying to be PCI compliant is here is a cloud where you don't have a lot of control mm. right. over yeah. what happens in the cloud. Right. Yeah. You know, that, that's almost the opposite of what PCI is, is total control. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it depends on the type of cloud. I mean, is it private or public cloud? Exactly. Are they going to encrypt your data? Uh, who holds the keys to the data? Things like that. I mean, you should always hold your own keys. Don't trust somebody else with your keys and things like that. But. Yeah. And uh, that article also did, or I guess, white paper standards. Yeah. I guess that uh, it'll be the official standards. In. That is an official yeah. document from PCI. Yeah. It's, it's the, um, what do they call it? They have a name for it, the, the group. It's like a, uh, a special interest group. That's it, special interest group mm -hmm. for PCI. So. Yeah. Um, and it's challenging to verify who has access to your cardholder data process transmitted and stored in a cloud environment. Right. And as you have mentioned before, it's in the cloud. You know, what, what happens? Who's guarding that? Yeah. Or is anybody guarding it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, things like, not necessarily picking on Dropbox. I use Dropbox. I love Dropbox. But, you know, they have no real encryption for your data. You don't know how it's being protected or where it's even at. So yep. that's the kind of thing you have to be careful of. Dark side of home automation. What's uh, what's this one about? So you can uh, we have an attacker who can monitor a user's day-to-day -day activities? So with home automation, there's a bunch of ways you could monitor things. Um, there's different protocols, and there's tools now you can actually use to monitor the network. Like X10 is a transmitted, nothing's encrypted, so it's just transmitted on your wireline. You can buy monitoring tools um, for X10 where you basically plug it in, you can see all the codes being transmitted across the network. Hmm. Um, there's a bunch of other protocols that are starting to use Zigbee more and things like that. So all these tools have these, all these protocols have tools you can use, and they're not protected or encrypted in any way. So somebody could kind of plug into the outside of the house, send a code, and start controlling your stuff or a watch and stuff like that. Yeah. So, so, and what's becoming more and more popular is some way from the outside to get to the inside to control things. So, you know, you see I do that here. Yeah. Um, and I have that same concern. Of course, being a security person, I think I'm pretty secure. Of course, yeah. I, probably shouldn't, I probably shouldn't think that way, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Thinking you're secure is always the best way to, to get, get hacked. But um, that's what they're starting to come because the home automation grows to becoming more of a, of a threat and stuff. So um, let's take stock of what we've talked about so far. Our home our lights can be turned off and on, mm -hmm. <laughs> or our uh, utilities, or our refrigerators, or right. You can control our, our thermostats, and you check the weather, turn lights on and off, control TVs. You know, you name it. You can pretty much do anything you want. And so we know that our governments are being hacked, and we also know that our emergency access systems can be hacked. So emergency broadcast systems, yeah. So yeah. It's, um, it's quite a list, a growing list of, uh, of things that people might want to hack into. Yeah. Patch Tuesday. Well, we talked about it earlier because we talked about Adobe, Java, and PDF. And, and speaking of list. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this was interesting. It was actually a big Tuesday for, yeah. for a Microsoft patch. Um, I think I found it interesting in the sense that um, Microsoft actually identified five of their patches. Um, they they level them right as far as importance, and they actually used a level um, that they haven't used in a while. Right, the the critical label. Yeah. So, um, which is is basically, you know, utmost importance, um, and and they add, they threw a critical on five. Right, so, five of the twelve. Yeah. So let me ask you this question: the next one is Internet Explorer. Who uses Internet Explorer? Still? <laughs> I do. 
I use it too. Well, you don't use it at home, do you? <laughs> I so what I tend to do is is, is um. What home your Mac? How do you use Internet Explorer? No, I I use Safari on my Mac. Oh, okay, all right. Um, but my my primary yeah, browser. Environment. Yeah, my my <laughs> primary my primary browser, um, is IE because of the fact that I, I find that I can relate to um a user environment if I feel their pain. Um, if an exploit is targeted for IE, um, then I can try to reproduce it. I can try to reproduce the error um, if we're running into issues with compatibility. So I, what I try to do is keep myself as um, closely aligned with the user community that I'm, I'm trying to work with. Well, so. not trying to scare you and in, 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 uh, in not being anti-Microsoft, 57 or 13 of the 57 patches were for Internet Explorer alone. Yeah, so. it is quite a few. And yeah. Internet Explorer, I think this year also had a I, I, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, didn't they have a significant zero day this year, or was it late last year that IE had the the zero day go out on it? I don't remember. I remember. So, I remember, but then it all runs together. It's, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's tracking Patch Tuesdays a little and, difficult. So. And you know, towards the end of the year, we did have a lot of Patch Tuesdays that had a lot of high critical events. So yeah. It's hard to keep track sometimes. Um, I, I got to say that IE has come under enough fire nowadays that um, it has been openly recommended that you not use the browser. I mean, there there have been several um, big players in the industry that said use alternative browsers like Chrome or Firefox Mozilla until IE can you know remedy their issues. So, I mean, not necessarily to Patch Tuesday, but, you know, IE 10 is getting ready to come out, and yeah. they're going to remove something they've had in there forever that was a Microsoft thing, and that's an ActiveX. So, yeah. How many things use and require ActiveX? There are going to be a lot of broken things. You need a lot of broken things. So, yeah. however, I can see a security that yeah. finally made up taking security a little more seriously. It's my hope, at least, is yeah. the security is taking a little more seriously. I mean, eventually you got to pull the trigger. It's it's no longer to just know about the vulnerability, right? Right. S sooner or later, you're going to have to do something. Yeah, I do wonder about how many of those IE patches actually involved ActiveX. We're probably a significant portion, and so getting rid of the product, getting rid of that feature will probably um, will help them on Patch Tuesdays. Right. Yeah. Uh, so we come to the portion I like to call retractions and corrections yes. from last week's show. Um, we had, uh, we misstated a fact, which is we were talking about Androids, and we had said that in quarter four of all smartphones that were shipped were Android. Actually, uh, these the stat that comes to us from Strategy Analytics says Android and Apple iOS capture a record 92% share of the global smartphone shipments. So that is actually uh, Apple and Android together. Combined. Yes. Yeah. Um, when I had, I had posted that, I had um, actually left out um, Apple iOS, and I am sorry for leaving Apple iOS out of that picture. Um, but I, I reported the 92% as Android, and it should have been Android and Apple. Yep. And that link also is going to be in the show notes. So if you want to see the actual breakdown of that, you can uh, go to the show notes. And uh, by the way, we were uh, we had somebody email us on that and said, hey, guys, uh, you better check this out. And we appreciate that. We are looking for that feedback. Yeah, all feedback's good. Yeah. All feedback is good. And we want to get the uh, inf right, correct information out there. And if that's not the case, then we want to correct that and make that right. So before we go on to the malware, I just want to remind everybody you can get Security Dakota delivered automatically to your favorite device by su subscribing to our netcast at your favorite podcast directly like iTunes. Also, subscribe to your YouTube channel to get regular updates as well. If you listen to uh, Stitcher Radio, subscribe to use Get Security Decoded automatically 
every week. Uh, we also have a Twitter account that you can follow to get the latest news and information. You can find all the details by going to Security Decoded TV. If you have a TiVo, you can watch us by getting a season pass to Security Decoded. More ways to watch and listen are on the way too, so keep an eye out for that. So let's go to malware, our, one of our uh, favorite subjects, Zeus. Dude. Zeus is good or bad? We're still fighting Zeus. Didn't I just say that malware tends to flame out, burn out? Didn't, didn't they just recently catch the uh, the father for the Zeus net? Uh, we ported it on episode you, one. Yes, we did. Yep, the Zeus botnet coder oh, was Oh, caught. yeah, yeah. That, was, that, was, that was last week. Why didn't we report that? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so, um, yeah, Zeus, Zeus bad. Yeah, yeah, so Zeus now setting its sights on Japanese online banking customers, and that's where I, I never like to hear banking and Zeus in the same But that's what, that's what it's good for. That I mean, is, you know, that's yeah. what they really designed it for. Zeus, yeah. Zeus target financial industry. Right. And, and, it's, and it's to the point, like, where we talked about with um, the white hole kit, you, you sell it. So somebody yeah, found yeah, yeah. something that was really good at extracting or going after financial industry. They've distributed it enough that... You know, you may see an article that says, "Hey, caught the you know the biggest Zeus botnet guy or the creator yeah. of the Zeus botnet guy," but he distributed it well enough that it's no longer the source of the code; it's yeah. everywhere. Right, yeah. and it's never just him either. And he says no. it's always a whole network of yeah. people. So. Yeah, and again, it's delivered by a fish saying, uh, "Put your login information here." It's just that right. relationship between phishing and malware is very close, yeah. so you have to watch both sides. Low tech. Yeah. Low yep. tech. Yep. And uh, finally, in malware security, a security firm's stolen crypto key used to sign malware. I don't like this uh, headline either. Yeah. Security keys, when they get out, that's bad. Yeah. So this, this was an interesting exploit. Um, the company was called Bit9. Yeah, the thing is, Bit9 is a security company. So how embarrassing is that to yes. somebody stole your keys and used it, you know? So, and the I think, um, which adds to it, and, and no knock on you, Bit9, but um, basically what they were able to do was is they were able to exploit them in a way that it avoided detection on Bit9 products. Right, exactly. So they were able to take three keys, use the key to sign malware. And what this essentially did was um, allow... All applications to run on an ins, uh, on a customer's computer that has their application whitelisting because they basically have a legitimate key signing the malware, so it's going to say, "I'll let you go." Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. And the problem here was they secured those keys in a non-secure location, right, yeah. where anybody can get it. Yeah. So the they said it was uh, due to an um, operational oversight. The systems actually used uh, that were leveraged didn't have their own products on it. Right. It's kind of funny. <laughs> but you know that can happen to any big company. You know, you lose track of what's you where and you're constantly re-imaging yeah. you have new employees coming in and out. You gotta make sure that everything's yeah, I mean, up to it's gonna happen more than just bit nine. I mean it happened in bit nine this time, it's gonna happen with somebody else yeah. next time. So, so the, the other good key piece of information on the bit nine exploit is that it, it closely parallels um, the two thousand eleven RSA breach in the sense that it was data taken from a source like RSA or like Bit9, and then eventually it was used to leverage against the customers that have the service provided by Bit9 or the service provided by RSA. So, um, you know, it's 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 a the customer was leveraged through an exploit, you know, that was gained through Bit9, and, yeah. and like what we saw with RSA in 2011. Now that ties into what we just talked about cloud security about cloud computing. How do you know that people are keeping the keys in the right place and the information? You, you don't. You trust. Yeah, you, you just, just trust. trust. Yeah. I mean, large companies that go out and look for cloud solution providers will generally 
go through an audit process and they'll ask those kind of questions. But a lot of companies that do it don't know what to ask. So, and I can't say I've ever really seen a good questionnaire. You give a, a cloud company, like how do you protect your keys and things like that. I mean, there's just some basic things that should be done in an interview process. Yeah, and even uh, internal audits. Uh, okay, do I have information out on this computer? What I used to have it here. Well, did we take it all off? Right. Yeah. Documentation, documentation, documentation. I I find that a, a lot of organizations um, they'll eventually nail the process, but it's they drop it on the documentation. Right. Exactly. And the thing is, you said about internal audit. I mean, how many companies, you know, small business companies, don't really have an internal audit? Yeah. So. Yeah. They don't know any better. Well, a lot of small companies are just one shop. Right. You know, you have one person keeping an eye on everything, and a lot of times they're the uh, server administrators. Right. They're, they're doing a little bit of everything. everything. Yeah, they're patching, yep. they're doing security, they're doing the audits, and they're right. the all-in-one. You know. mm-hmm. Yep. The uh, what do they call it? The Swiss Army knife mm-hmm. of the IT field. Yep. yep. And that's a good uh, segue into security certifications. That's our weekly main subject. Yep. And Mike is going to break that down for us. Yep. So. This original question came from Christian Fellows of Eugene, Arkansas, asking about what is the best certification to get starting out. I think he's just getting out of college, if I can remember correctly from the email. And um, before I answer that, I want to go through the track a little bit, uh, two different different certification tracks that we have. Um, we have basically two tracks. There's a management track, and then there's a technical track. And I'm going to break it down through the different ones, and as I go through here, you know, you guys kind of, join in and, and tell me what you think about each of the certifications as well. So first of all, there's, like I said, just management technical, and then you also have some product specific. Most manufacturers have a certification program for the products. So um, any security tool you get is going to have like a, a program you can go and learn and maybe give you a certificate. They're not generally as detailed as these other certifications are though. But first thing I want to do is go through the management track. And the most common one you hear thrown around is the CISSP, which is Certified Information System Security Professional. And it's basically 10 different domains of security, and um, it's probably one of the more difficult ones to get. Now, um, I basically look at it as being more management, because you don't have to know a lot of technical detail. You have to know the concepts behind it, but not actually how to do certain things. So, But the 10 domains of security are access control, uh, telecommunications and network security, information security governance and risk management, software development security, cryptography, uh, security architecture and design, operations security, business continuity and disaster recovery planning, legal regulations, investigations and compliance, the physical environment, like uh, how you protect the computer or lock it up, things like that is in there as well. So So I I can say that um, Dennis has this. So, yeah, so Dennis is a CSSP. Now, one of the things we wanted to also mention on this one, this one requires continuing education. Yeah. So every year you have to go and get so many points. What is the points? I don't know what it is. I'd have to look up on a site. And it changed not too long ago. Yeah, so it's it's either an annual or a cumulative over a couple of years. And and they do have it well documented on their site. So you can do it through webinars. Um, you can do it through like the, the RSA conference. Right. Any, any kind of security conference, um, any kind of security training, if you go get another certification, you yeah, can go towards certification. it. Um, things like that as it's, well. It's a great form of validation, though, because of the fact that the IT field constantly shifts. Right. And that's actually a very good thing. So I'm not saying that's a, that's a bad thing, but people should be aware. You just don't get it and say, oh, I'm, I'm certified. It's not for a fire this. and forget certified. No, no, exactly. So, 
So the one that follows kind of closely behind this, and actually Dennis may know a little more about this than, than I do because he knows some people that recently taken taken this, is a Security Plus. Yeah. And it's from CompTIA. And it, I know somebody who's taking it and having and really struggling with it. So um, from what I understand, it's, it's a little more difficult than what it used to be. It so. is a little more technical. Um, you're right. It has changed uh, dramatically from the past couple of years and is quite an intensive test that uh, you really have to know your you, – you have to know a lot of technical detail now. Right. So um, I'll go through what the exam contains. 21% of it is network security. 18% is compliance and operational security. 21% is threats and vulnerabilities. 16% is application data and hosting sec- host security. 13% of it's access control and identity management. And 11% is cryptography. So if you had to compare these to compare this to a CSSP, how would you compare it? I mean... From what I understand, the test is pretty difficult compared to what it used to be. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Um, so I've heard that cryptology get really tripped up a lot of people because you really have to know the whole key process and know the difference between, whereas on a CISSP, you have to know what, what a Diffie-Hellman is, but you actually have to break it down on the Security Plus. You have to know the details on it. So I put, this under, I put this under management. Would you consider this more of a technical? I now? would consider it technical. All right, so mm-hmm. I, I misplaced it where I put it in my list because from my understanding in the past, Security Plus was more of the management higher right. level. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, I know somebody who's trying to pass it right now and, and struggling with it. So I, I think it can straddle both sides because of the fact that it's it's probably what I consider a core cert. Um, regardless of management or technical, it's a good um, just an overall view of security from several different levels. Yeah, so, so I used to look at it or... more of being like the A plus, which the A plus used to be like a high level hardware yeah. thing, and it's the same people who did who did security plus. But yeah, um, yeah so and I got to give credit to CompTIA. Um, you know, like, like you said, uh, there was a point in time where if you mentioned A plus, um, A plus, Net plus, Security plus, it was that, like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it was it was like, uh, you know, would you go pick that up at Walmart? So, yeah, and yeah, they've, exactly. they've done a lot to really boost their curriculum. So, um, and it, it really speaks to the core knowledge that you have within the field. Yeah. So um, the next one I want to cover is the CISM, and this is from ISACA, and that's a Certified Information Security Manager, and this is definitely management side. Yes. And it covers, like, information security governments, steering groups. And I, I do hear on this one that it's not updated as much as the other tests. So if you took a book from two years ago, it would it's probably still be still valid. Same. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So um, it covers uh, things like recovery time objectives, security metrics. It's very management-centric, you know, due diligence, security baselines, things like that. And a lot on the recovery process as well. Yeah, disaster recovery is in there. That and also um, the attributed cost to security. Cost-benefit analysis, tax laws, things like that. So, yeah. Uh, for collecting and presenting evidence. You know, less like the the previous search, we would talk like cryptology, you know, and, and... and things like that, and this is um, more of a, of a um, like you said, manager, more manager-driven. Right. Hey, Dennis, can you go grab me the power supply for this? Mm-hmm. I'll go on to the next one when you grab that. So um, the next one is the Certified Information Security Auditor, and um, it's a CISA, C-I-S-A. It's an, also a, a SACA uh, one. And this is more around, like I said, like the name says, it's around auditing, um, control objectives, auditing standards, con- control self-assessment, 
um, IT governance framework. So it's some of the it's it's a little bit of the CISM in there as well. It is, and and it's um I think it leans like you said it leans more towards um governance. You got to be able to self check yourself. Right, exactly. So if this is more of if you were going to do an internal audit, or you yeah. know, it's an, entry, like an introduction to internal audit. So, and I think the hardest thing that most people have um, is being um, uh, being able to separate themselves right. when they're doing an audit. Um, to be, you know, how can, how can I be uh, truly objective on this? And this certification really helps you establish that mind frame. Uh, puts together a lot of processes and outlines. Right. So let's see. Next one I have on my list is certified in risk and information control, and it's called C Risk, C R I S C, and it said C Risk as well, so that's kind of funny. It's yeah. risk and information control, and spelled, it's called C. Spelled, yep. spelled just like it. So um, this is for risk identification and assessment, uh, risk response, risk monitoring. So it's all around risk controls and stuff like that. And then there is the certified in the governance of enterprise IT. Uh, C-G-E-I-T, another Osaka. Yeah. Osaka one. So all the Osaka ones, I think, are, for the most part, um, management side. And this really is for experienced IT governance personnel. It covers IT governance, strategic alignment, um, value delivery, risk management, resource management, and performance management. And that's it. That's all I have for the, the management side. Now, there's a lot more on the technical side. Um, than what's in the the management side. So I think the, a lot of it just if, um, if management is your your path. If you're looking to take a right, you have team, you have either the, you either have one or the other pretty much for the most part. Either technical or your management. Yeah. Some people cross over a little bit. You are good from technical to management at some point, but yeah, yeah overall it's pretty much you know. And you and you gotta you also it you know, it's it's to the job. It's to your environment. Um, you know, some of these certificates are are better suited for, um, say, a, a government side right. versus a, a private side. Right. So let's move on to the technical side. Um, and the first one is the Certified Ethical Hacker. It's a CEH, and it's from the EC Council. And uh, um, I can speak to this one really, really well. <laughs> this is actually one of, one of my favorite classes I ever took was this one. Um, and the other one was reverse engineering, which we'll talk about here shortly. But what's funny is if you are a a local administrator or domain administrator for most U.S. government offices, or maybe it's just military, I can't remember, but you're required to be a certified ethical hacker. Okay. So that used to be CISSP was required to be, to do that, and I think now it's certified ethical hacker. So is it one or the other, or is it um, CEH is the a more? Couple, a couple of years back I used to work on um, a .mail network, and um, I was a domain enforced level. So um, the initial certification security plus net plus in conjunction with each other, and then they had migrated it um, pretty close to, I think, 1998, 99, when they said, OK, CISSP was the new um, foundation cert that you need to have domain level access. And, and to be able to make any adjustments at the domain level, you had to pursue CISSP. And um, I think that they're realizing that um, if you're a domain admin, you need a more technical skill set. So where CISSP is more management skill set. Right, which that makes sense. Yeah. That makes and, sense. and CEH is more technical skill set. They, they're trying to correct something. They're trying to put a more technical cert in line with, with people that will be doing the hands-on. Yeah, so, I mean, when I was in class, most of the other people in the class, 80% of them were from some government yeah. organization that were there to you know, get the cert for their – uh, domain administrator. But the CERT um, covers penetration testing, 
stealth, um, network, recon, passive traffic identification, remote root vulnerability exploitations, uh, privilege escalation hacking, IPv6 vulnerabilities, remote access Trojan. So it just keeps going down the list of things that you learn. There's a long list of things that are in here. Uh, and actually, the list keeps them going. <laughs> so the, the other one uh, that goes along with that is the advanced ethical hacking, which is probably the next one I want to take. So yeah. I had so much fun with the first one. Uh, but you leverage zero-day um, private unreleased exploits. Um, you use fuzzers and dynamic attacks, which we did that in class. So I don't know. I guess it's some more use of that. Um, exploit secure web applications. Again, we did that in class. It's supposed to take you just a little bit farther. Um, and it's things like you can uh, break into completely patched machines, things like that. So you get a more advanced. A lot of hands-on. Oh, it's definitely yeah. hands-on. Yeah. It's definitely hands-on, yeah. I, I think it's the level of exposure. So um, some of these things that you were initially covered on CEH, um, when you get to the advanced CEH level, then it's the exposure to the tool right. at a new level. And the, when I took the class, and we'll t we haven't talked about this one yet, but there's also the penetration tester one. Yep. Those two were taken together. So they taught you them both the same week, took the test you know, at the end of the week for both of those because they're so similar to each other. The skill set comes hand in hand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, the CPT does have a practical test, which was very fun. Um, you had to you know, break into Unix boxes and get root passwords on both of them. Yep. Um, which is you know was fun, but the the ethical kind hacker the, did capture the flag activity. Yeah, exactly what it. Well, we yeah. actually had capture the flag every night in class too. So he'd yeah. put up something and he said to go go do this. So it was part of the fun of the class for me too. So. And you know one more thing about the CEH. Um, I took the class, and it was about a year later that I came across a real live cross site scripting vulnerability, and uh, I used everything that I learned in that class a year later and was able to say, okay, this is what's going on. This is how we handle it. I, I kind of remember that. And, and um, uh, first I was, I was you know, a little stunned with how quickly you picked up the cross-site script. And then you were able to speak it out. And, and like you said, it was just skill sets that you picked up in CEH. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's one of those things where you don't get to do it enough in real life to, you know. Right. That's why I keep asking for malware samples to reverse engineer them <laughs> because it's, it's fun to do, you know. So. Okay, so the next one is a uh, certified computer hack forensic investigator. So these people are very important because um, they're the ones that go into the machines, save the data on the machine, and f go through and analyze the data. So these uh, uh, it's basically doing the whole find the malware and figure out how it works and figure out what else it's infected and where did it go. So a bunch of tools you can do this, but this uh, certification goes through computer forensics training for using open source tools because there was some computer crime, chain of custody information, working with NTFS, all the things you need to know to get things off the machine safely and without without any, destroying any evidence. So I completed that one last year. And um, I got to say, it's, I, I picked it for a reason. Um, I have a little bit of a background in forensics. Um, I, at one time, was um, law enforcement. So um, chain of custody, evidence handling, plain view doctrine, um, there is a lot of law. Uh, defining your scope so um, there is also the technical portion like you said it's it's being able to what people don't realize is you know when I delete something it's not really gone yeah, so it's still it's, there yeah, it's, <laughs> it's and it's, still and it's learning how to identify those files right. be able to extract those files but do it in a manner um, that you maintain the integrity of the file of the box right you have to maintain yeah. the referential integrity otherwise you can't use it in a court of yeah. law so yeah, there's all that so awesome. and it was um, it was it was challenging in a way that it, it was it was two tiered. Um, not only were we doing 
um, the technical aspect of it, and there is a practical portion to this test where we have to do a forensics on an image and answer questions and then submit them in. Um, but you have to do it while adhering to um, things like um, plain view doctrine, while adhering to the wiretap laws. Um, right. And and uh, so you have to always keep that. Yeah, and that's different mind. depending on where you're doing it at too. Yeah. All those laws are different, especially if you're doing it to other countries. Yeah. So but even in the United States, there's different laws. Each state has their own law to yeah. some some degree. So, I, so. I love the class. It was a great class. Um, it was it just. It tested your your skills at the same time. It you had to maintain that presence of mind while you were doing it. So, it was it was a good course. I liked it. All right. So the next one is a certified penetration tester, which I just talked about a little bit ago. It's very similar to ethical hacker. In fact, I can't really tell you for sure what part of the class was ethical hacker and what part of the class was <laughs> penetration tester because it didn't really draw the line. I mean, it basically taught you everything at the same time. Um, I do know reading over the description, this is probably where they the tools they teach you how to use came come in because. This is the practical test that you had to take. You had to break into something. You had to write an exploit to get into something. Yeah. So this is probably the the one that did most of that. Um, but again, I took them at the same time, and I couldn't tell a difference no. because they're they're mm -hmm. so similar to each other that um, I couldn't tell which one was which each one. But it's a very it's a fun class either way. So um, the there's also an expert penetration tester, which this is the one where. Um, you attack DMZs, port redirection. Uh, you learn a lot more about Metasploit, which use Metasploit in class, but they don't go in. They teach you how to use it, but there's a lot in Metasploit that you can do that they don't teach you. There's no, there's so much, there's so much there. So they go through that in a lot more, a lot more detail. Also, um, hijacking SSL encrypted sessions, which we did that in class, kind of, in a way. So, and then the other one, the next one is the certified reverse engineering analyst, and this one I took and I love this one too. Um, it brought back my assembler days because it's been many, many years since I had to do assembler and you had to use no assembler to reverse engineer. So, but it was a very fun class. Um, you basically, you're learning the tools, um, some free, some not free, uh, to reverse engineer. Um, talks about different compression types, different heap overflows, different types of attacks. Um, it's interesting to see how you can put something in memory and, and have it execute by buffer overflow. And uh, they teach you how a lot of stuff works. So it's really, it's really neat. Okay, so the next one is the Certified Data Recovery pro Professional, and that's not really, do you consider it security? Hmm. It, if you, it depends on how you tie it into. So if, um, things like the Certified Hacking um, Forensics or the CCFE, uh, which you're going to talk about next, um, they, they kind of will overlap each other. It's just like how pen tests very similar. Yeah, it's very yeah. similar what you're doing. You're still yeah. you know, getting data that's been because gone. Because say I have somebody that actually tries to encrypt data at rest on a drive that I need to do a forensics examination against it, so i got to recover data. Right. So this is where um, there is a crossover between the two. It's just um, one tends to be more specific on I'm recovering data versus one is more of a process of how do I recover data or find data, but at the same time maintain the integrity, the chain of custody, the processes involved? Right. Well, if you see on, um, if you watch shows like CSI, uh, they have data recovery specialists, and they're always taking, you know, goes into that legal component, saying right. what, hap what, did, what were, what's on this piece of information? Can I recover yeah, it? I and have I that, recovered it? Isn't that legally? more the forensic investigator, though, the CCFI? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it is. That's what they all kind of overlap each other. Yeah, yeah. They, and they do. So there's there's some crossover to um, to get the CCFE. You have to know um, how to be able to um, identify deleted files. Right. And, right. And to be able to extract 
a deleted file from a disk, how do you do that? So that's where recovery and forensics almost yeah. go hand in hand. All right, so the uh, next one is the CCFE, as you mentioned. This is the com Certified Computer Forensics Examiner, which is very similar to the other one I talked about before. CHFI. The CHFI, yeah. I, it's too many acronyms. <laughs> acronym, acronym. Alphabet acronym. soup. Yeah. yeah. So it's very similar. I mean, basically going through a machine looking for uh, malware, working with NTFS, doing chain of custody, um, recovering swap and temporary files, memory, you know, stuff like that. So it's all very similar. Um, those two may be tied together at some point. I don't know. And uh, there's an emphasis on tools here. Different. Yeah, definitely. There, tools. So on Cox the, tools. the the CC, CCFE is is more forensics driven versus the CHFI is merging your skill set of CEH with a CCFE. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, and then you have the recovery. So um, and and it's just building that broad technical set. So, okay. So yeah, so this CHFI is an incorporation of CEH skill set into a forensics skill set. Okay. Huh. So the uh, next one is the Certified Application Security Specialist. So this is for developers. You focus towards developers. You learn how to write things securely, code defense mechanisms, uh, what cross-site scripting is and how to prevent it, cross-site uh, request forgery, things like that. So it's uh, really good to learn how to develop securely. And that's the ones I have. That's the technical side. A lot more on the technical side than there are. I guess uh, on the reversing ActiveX will go away. That's right. <laughs> well, you know, you say you say that well, the... versions <laughs> never seem to go away. Yeah. Do they? <laughs> Didn't we just do a thing in IE six like the last yeah. week? And, and Java six, six. Uh, which we thought was supposed to be yeah. long gone. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. that's a good breakdown. Yep. Very nice. So we've come to the portion in our show where I ask a question, and uh, I always keep the question a secret. So <laughs> we started out talking about zombies, so we're going to end up there. But one thing I'd like to know from you guys, first of all, which is more scary? Is it the slow zombies or the fast zombies? And what do you think the scariest headline we talked about tonight is? Uh, I'll go ahead and tell you, I'm afraid of the slow zombie because the slow zombie just keeps coming at you. Just keeps coming, he's slow, but he's just persistent. And the scariest thing that we talked about in the headline today is Zeus. It's persistent. Keeps coming after you. Keeps going after your online banking. What do you think, John? Um, I got to say I'm, I'm more fat, afraid of the fast zombie. Um, I'm just not fast. <laughs> <laughs> Father Time has done me wrong. Well, What's the saying? I'm safe as long as I run faster than you. John, I've been on the basketball court. I think I'd be afraid of the slow zombie as well. <laughs> so, um, but I think the scariest thing to me is is, um, and I think most people will be surprised um, is uh, malvertising. Um, I I'm sorry, I'm going to beat this one to death. Low tech, low tech, low tech, low tech, low tech. Um, why go out and try to write this fancy code when all I got to do is drop a malicious ad on a legitimate site? People will come to me, and I'll get you. Drive-by infections. Um, a lot of people that work with me will commonly hear me say drive-by infections, and to me, drive-by infections are basically um, people go out to legitimate sites that have been compromised, known as watering holes, or they run into malvertising. Opening a browser, get hit. My homepage is MSN, get hit. My homepage is Yahoo, get hit. Low tech, you know, 
why go after them? Let them come to me. Yeah. So I yeah malvertising really um, just it red lights everywhere. Mike, slow zombie or fast zombie? Can I add a third one? Yes. The I, zombies that have the uh, that swim in the pool with the duckies. I I thought you might there's add a, a third category here. A, that's my and that's my <laughs> yeah. that's my fear. I can never get them. Ten percent zombies yeah. are the ones I, that always get me. I'd also say a meat. There's a medium zombie. The ones that you see in Walking Dead. You know they're kind of fast, kind of slow. I don't know. They're kind of that in between zombie. Yeah. 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 So, so I, I'm going to agree with uh, Sean in the chat room. The scariest headline is the hacked elevators. I mean, if you have to go to the bathroom and get stuck in an elevator, it's been hacked. <laughs> that's right. You could really be in trouble. That's right. You'd be like the people on that cruise ship right now. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That would be scary. Nowhere to go. Six toilets that actually work. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, but if that happened to me, everybody else would suffer around me. <laughs> Fast or slow zombies as well. <laughs> well, that'll wrap it up for this week's episode. Thanks for joining us. If you need more information from us, go to the Security Decoded TV website. And we also have the show notes. And that'll wrap it up for this week. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>